This episode is sponsored by Book Riot Insiders. Struggling to keep up with the latest releases? Want to keep an eye on what's coming out in the next few months for work or for your own personal pre-ordering needs? If you need help turbocharging your TBR, Book Riot Insiders is here for you. Our new release index, available at the novel level for just $5 a month, is curated by our resident reader Liberty Hardy, from the All the Books podcast. She keeps track of the most exciting books pre-publication so that you can browse them, know when your favorite author's next novel hits stores, or find your next favorite read. Go to insiders.bookriot.com to sign up. That's insiders.bookriot.com. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 306. We're recording on Thursday, April 4th, 2019. I'm Jeff O'Neill here with Rebecca Shinsky. We're coming to you from bookriot.com. It's been a few weeks. Yes. Hello and welcome back. I'm back. Uh, we were spring breaking. <coughs> that, that's all. That's all I'm going to say about it. We were spring breaking. <laughs> a good time was had by most. I'm very glad. Yeah. Um, it's been. It's April. You and Jen on last week's show, though, I heard maybe I got. Um, I took a little needling. Just, just a little light-hearted, loving teasing about mm-hmm. you know your nature preferences which is that i don't have any basically that was the joke yeah <laughs> sure i you know nature's fine for other people i'm sure it's great well the show title was selective tree hugging i did see that so i did i did see that but we did miss you and it's, it, is, it has been weird to go a few weeks without talking yeah. to each other like this i saw, I saw the show title and i did a, a, a characteristically jeff thing and wonder about the phrase tree hugging it's not something you hear that much anymore like it was an epithet right like a tree hugger was a um a term of derision for someone who cared too much about the environment than yes. the person calling them a tree hugger did. Mm-hmm. Uh, you is, know, has that I'm been just reclaimed? Has that been, has that been uh, positive, positively appropriate? <laughs> like, do people call themselves tree huggers now? Like in a, uh, um, a nature positive way? I think they do. I mean, like I have personally referred to myself as a tree hugging hippie. Right. Um, I think that now that it's, you know, in vogue to care about the environment or <clears throat> more socially acceptable, you're right. not like a weirdo hippie if you care about the environment. You're actually like a reasonable person who's considering. Right. Well, the tree hugging was you. sort of a, it was that, that's a pre seeing climate change as a as sort of an existential threat to human life on earth, right? I think that was more of a, right. you care about this thing, you know, because you're soft hearted. Now there's a way of, now there's a popular acceptable way of caring about the environment that's not just sort of Birkenstock wearing and, mm-hmm. you know, baby seals. It's like, what if we don't want to live underwater? What about that? Right. <laughs> yeah, I've seen Waterworld and it was not awesome. Such a bad movie. Right. Like, I don't want to live in that movie. No. And I just Googled origin of the term tree mm-hmm. hugger because, you know, words are interesting and that's they kind are. of related to what we do here. And actually, the term was coined in the year 1730. Really? Mm -hmm. When about 360 people from the Bijnois branch of Hinduism physically clung to or hugged the trees in their village in order to prevent them from being cut down Uh. to build a palace. I'm sad to report that they were unsuccessful. They were killed by the foresters who cut down the trees. Oh, I don't like this story. I don't like the story either, but the origin of the term like really does still convey (laughs) what we mean when we talk about tree hugging and conservation mm. well um i'm sorry to hear that story um the more i don't know why know. we got onto this yeah i guess <laughs> is there a term of art now for i, I guess i feel like especially in, in, in the left that um 
environmentalism, whatever else you might call it, is now such a part of the platform that we don't even have a term for like, mm-hmm. we, like to be a tree hugger is not a thing really anymore, I don't feel like. Yeah, I don't think so in that, maybe not in the same way, like on the progressive end of things, yeah. you sort of pick your your primary issues around which you do your own personal activism. And I think environmentalism is a bigger element of that for some people than others. Um, But yeah, it's not, it's not like such a, it's not an uncommon thing anymore. It doesn't really deserve a term of art to be, you know, a person who cares about nature staying intact so that we don't all live underwater. Yeah. Or we're burning up every summer, or, right. or you know, yeah. like that we have some plants left at some trees point. Trees are good. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. The, the, the trees are good. <laughs> I ne- don't necessarily need to visit them. I think that's where <laughs> that's what we've come down here in the, the show open. Uh, before we get any further, you could probably learn about nature if you wanted to. You could learn about lots of stuff. We love to learn, and know you do too. You could probably there's probably a course about the history of environmental activism. I guess environmental activism is now the the term maybe more than, you know, that's that, that we'd use to describe someone who has a central um, goal of their uh, political or social action to be about the environment. Anyway, you could learn about this and probably a lot more stuff. I know a lot more stuff. If you check out The Great Courses Plus, it's a fantastic streaming service that gives you the opportunity to learn from bright, passionate experts about virtually anything. Writing fiction, the Roman Empire, zoology, how to paint, Mediterranean cooking, and more. It feels like that episode, that scene in uh, Parks and Rec where Ron Swanson is like typing like random words. But <laughs> America! But you can actually learn out. Yeah. <laughs> Wednesday, the Roman Empire, zoology. The Great Courses Plus gives you unlimited access to watch and listen to thousands of lectures anytime, anywhere. I think you would like the course on great utopian, dystopian works of literature. Environmental dystopia is like a thing now. <coughs> For real, you could read about Margaret Atwood, Suzanne Collins, H.G. Wells. There's a history to these kinds of thinkings about <coughs> utopians and dystopians. You can check it out right now. It, there was a, it, it, is, it is now interesting, I was thinking about this, that The Hunger Games is now like in the past in, in terms of literary canon. Like it's oh, now yeah. more, it's, dec- it's like part of, and at the moment, that the moment of YA dystopias, especially that um, I think crystallized around the Hunger Games and Divergent and some other things, is now baked in, is now historical. These are historical documents, I guess what I'm trying to say. And so with the Great Courses Plus, you could think about them. And mm-hmm. to have lived through a moment that is now part of the historical record, pretty especially cool. in literature, is pretty cool. Um, so if you want to go check out that one or any of the other ones, this one's called Great Utopian and Dystopian Works of Literature. Go sign up for the Great Courses Plus with this exclusive limited time time offer here's the deal get a free month you just get that and then a second month for 99 cents that's unlimited learning for two full months for under a dollar again it's a penny under a dollar so it is technically under a dollar you could call it a dollar if that penny is the thing that keeps you from doing it you know as they say god bless you <laughs> just sign up at the great slash book riot that's the great slash book riot for your one free month and your second for just 99 cents. Limited time, only at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash bookriot. I think I've said the URL enough and we can move on. I think you're good. People I know feel, how I think, to, I think I how to work the internet. I hammered okay. that nail. We're good. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. What do we do? Let's do this kidlet mention, the kidlet these days first, then we'll get some listener follow-ups. Tell me about this. Uh, yeah, so shout out. Um, Jen and I mentioned this on last week's show, but just in case you missed that one, maybe you were also out 
hugging trees or attempting not to hug trees. And so you haven't caught up on last week's episode. Mm -hmm. Book Riot has a new Kidlit podcast hosted by Karina Jan Glaser, who's a Book Riot contributor, but also a New York Times bestselling author. And Matthew Winner, who is a children's librarian and the host of the Children's Book Podcast. And the two of them are really Kidlit connoisseurs. They are going to talk about great kids' books and also what's going on in the world of kids literature. The first episode is live now, and it includes a bunch of wonderful uh, Latinx authors talking about issues in kids' books, but also just social issues. That includes Meg Medina and Jenny Torres Sanchez and Guadalupe Garcia McCall. It is terrific. So if you have kids that you read to, if you work with children that you read to, maybe you're just into children's books and interested in what's happening there, check out Kidlit These Days. As always, you can subscribe to it in Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. And we'll have a link in the show notes. All right. Listener follow-up. It's been a few weeks, so we got some catching up to do. Um, Let's see. Pinch versus Dash. Do you remember this? I do remember this. This is one where um, maybe this could have been one of those Google interview questions, because I think we could have figured this out if we had, I don't know, thought about it tactily. Um, Listener wrote in to say... A pinch is for dry ingredients, and a dash is for wet ingredients, but they're oh. about the same weight. How about that? Huh. Like I a mean, dash is like a shake, maybe? Like or I'm like a, about... you know, like a, I almost, it just, as I, I didn't, I almost said, the, I guess I'm going to say it now. The word squirt is disgusting. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> that's just a disgusting word. You, you know what? I just was not ready for that, Jeff. I wasn't either. And my, my filter caught, I'm like, well, here we go, because I, you know, like a squirt. That's gross. It's gross, Rebecca Shinsky. It is. Squirt. It is. You know, I haven't considered that, but now that I'm thinking about it... There's really I, no non-disgusting deployment of the word I squirt that I can and, think of. And I, I cook a lot, and yeah. I'm never standing in my kitchen like, you know what this needs is a squirt or something. Well, but that's, the un- but that's like the, the basic unit of ketchup, though. It's a squirt, but like... But it's, it's just like... It's, it's, you know, it's, it's like... like it's a sound. A squirt it's is like, a sound. Oh, it's so juicily onomatopoetical that it's like so <laughs> gross. But it's accurate, but it's super gross. But the sound that ketchup bottle make is also gross in fairness to the word squirt. It's representative of the thing that's going on. No shade on squirt. <laughs> there were like 15 show titles in the last 30 seconds. Uh, of- I think I'm in a fugue state here. Um <laughs> But okay, like so, it's a great it's a great example. Like if you you know if you shake the bottle of Tabasco and like right. what is it that comes out? Is that yeah. a squirt of Tabasco? Not no, really. It's like a that's a well, dash. I, was, I was thinking about like Worcestershire sauce. Like mm-hmm. I I usually just do like a couple shakes, but but like a little olive oil is not a dash of olive oil. It's like a a glug or like a a once around the pan. Listen, I don't want to turn this into a linguistics <laughs> podcast, though I do want to at the same time. What are your feelings on the word glug? But like okay, so a dash is like you shake the bottle and then you bring it to abrupt stop so that the liquid like you know okay. by force comes out because if you do that with olive oil it just all comes out like right, that's true it's implied like with like uh, tabasco sauce is the one i'm thinking of it has that little mm-hmm. one way valve right yeah that, that presents little... just an unrempted flow of, of mm-hmm. the, or the soy liquid sauce from... or yeah right. sure any of your or made like red wine vinegar any sure. of your sort of secondary any of your nozzled, any of your nozzled cooking liquids is a dash <laughs> 
nozzled <laughs> whereas a pinch that makes sense i guess the thing i think about is you can also i i think of like a dash of salt if you have a salt shaker or a dash of pepper yeah, is a thing that uh-huh. could happen but that because i'm not pinching out my pepper um to to to, to be honest with you not to that's tmi mm-hmm. about my cooking i guess but i thought that that was a usable model for they're about the same amount of about the same amount just mm-hmm. in different um states of matter sure so. that well, you know, I feel like I've just learned a lot of things in the last I learned a lot of, of things about myself right there. Some of them I'm uncomfortable <laughs> with, um, to be perfectly frank. Are you uncomfortable with those things, though? Uh, I, like I mean, it's... not in a meta way. Like, every day I'm uncomfortable with those things, okay. I would say. You know, mm-hmm. it's just it's sort of an ambient state of uncomfortableness with myself. Um, I'm not sure see. I've ever heard you utter two more beautiful words than juicily onomatopoetic. <laughs> it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, let's come back. We have this is little birdie time. We can't mention the 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 name, mm, the mm-hmm. the employer, whatever. But we had a little birdie write about um, fact checking in nonfiction, mm. and this little birdie works at a publisher, and she started in copy editing, and some of that is fact checking, some of it's not. But even things like carrying, like basically affirming, amplifying, and giving depth and nuance to what we said already, which is, yes, we're right, but in a way that maybe we don't understand we're right, is like even caring about things like citations. It's not just, ah. it's not just checking the facts necessarily, but is it cited, the thing mm-hmm. that is an external fact? Is it even cited? Are the quotes, you know, are the quote like this was the Jill Abramson problem, right. right? Like some of these things maybe should have been, actually didn't, for some reason, I, I don't want to dive into that story too much, mm-hmm. but like my, my 10,000 foot view is not necessarily plagiarism, but not citing or depending on how you look at it. But a generous reading was she didn't cite or break out as quotes, things that should have been right. And rather integrated in her own voice, but even things like that don't get happen. And, you know, this person says she tries to care about it, but there's just not that much on the whole and her and on the whole. And then in her particular situation, as much care about the fact-checking citation footnote process as you might want. And I think we talked about when we brought this up, we've brought this up from time to time, also recognizing, though, the margins of which a lot of nonfiction sells to do copious or even baseline kinds of fact-checking would mean we don't have the books at all because they just don't earn out. Mm. Like, it w- it's, it's untenable from a P&L point of view to do the amount of fact checking on a on on most nonfiction, frankly, that you would need to do to reach like a New Yorker level of fact checking, just because they don't sell that enough copies to so, do it. So this is the this is the the decision you get to make. Do you want them not at all, right? Or do you want them knowing that they're not really fact checking? It's sort of a buyer beware or come after it later. I don't I don't know what place we're in. So that's the feedback. Probably the money that they lose after the fact on the surprise books with issues like the Jill Abramson right. book is less money lost than what they would lose if these books didn't exist. Well, it's at like all. insurance like, I can companies. Even see, like, they pay out sometimes, right, but yeah. on the whole, even they just, like, you know, come right, out ahead. Even just the bare bones math of that makes sense to me, but it's a, that's a, it's a bummer and it feels like, um, unfortunate for consumers for the general reading public that like, this is a thing that's only really known if you're as deeply into publishing as, yeah, I mean, I guess it, I, the the thing for me it kind of reminds me of the um, and this was more of your corner that I that I set up camp on about the ghost at a watchman. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like it's one thing to do it, but it's another thing to do it without putting a uh, a lantern on what the thing actually exactly. is. Exactly. Right. Yes, 
I do. I was really happy living on that corner that I never wanted to have to live on. No, I mean sometimes you gotta you gotta you gotta relocate for um, moral purposes. But this is I think this is the situation. The the real mm-hmm. not the real. The disjunction is that most people don't know this about nonfiction right. books. Like it's one thing if you know, like I know this. Mm-hmm. And so I, it's not a, it's a reader beware. Like you yeah, don't, think, don't put any too many eggs in the facts of the bas- the factual basket you're reading because it, it probably, most of the time they're probably right. But, 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 but. yeah, I was thinking about, I was thinking about this recently because I think that nonfiction kind of comes across as being in the same category as news. And we assume that news and reporters are checking facts Mm -hmm. and confirming things. And like, I just watched the HBO um, Theranos documentary this week, finally, and John Carreyrou was on there talking about it. And I got to thinking about like how Bad Blood could have been a different book if he had just set out to research it and write the book than if he had been researching for the Wall Street Journal at the time. Like, you have the force of the Wall Street Journal and the reporting Right. Yeah. there and and the insurance of being a news organization like that but for the general reader nonfiction isn't actually the same kind of writing or the same no. kind of research necessarily as news is and i don't think that that distinction is made nearly clear enough um or that it's made clear to readers like even if there were just some little note on the copyright page of a bunch of nonfiction books like this has not been fact <laughs> <laughs> right yeah and or you know, or the opposite or maybe it's like the canary thing where if it doesn't have this has been fact checked then you assume it hasn't right because right, the New Yorker like, doesn't put in the magazine like these have all been fact checked. Right, think. just like swim at your own risk, basically. Yeah. Um, so that's it. I mean, I guess the, the other because it kind of puts the cart before the horse in thinking about a long investigative piece in the New Yorker actually should have more factual weight mm-hmm. than a book length treatment of the subject coming out from a major publisher. And I think that's not how we generally think about how like the book is the. You know, there, there's a physical, there's mm-hmm. a physicality of it. There's a, you know, we put nonfiction books in libraries it's, and libraries where you get truth. Right, so it and feels it's going like to get a little bit of a, yeah. yeah. It just feels like to say that for, in most cases, a long mm-hmm. investigative piece in a, you know, a big time newspaper or news magazine, you should trust that more than a <coughs> book length work on equivalent subject, even by a, you know, reputable publisher with a reputable author. You should think of the news, the, the magazine as maybe being more authoritative than the book, which is just not how we think about books and magazines, generally speaking, yeah. I would say, uh, when it comes to nonfiction. So, all right, um, let's see. What's, oh, it's, it's a listener follow-up time. Um, we're still doing this. Uh, that's fact-checking. Oh, Game of Thrones. We talked about a lot of different contexts. Mm. Um, some feedback we asked, how were people feeling about, like the Game of Thrones fans, how are they feeling about this um, two roads diverging in a wood um, situation <laughs> where we have the, the TV show and the books on, I don't even know, just divergent paths. They're not yeah. even, we don't even know what they're going to be on parallel paths or what they're going to be. Yet to be um, determined. I think the thing I was surprised by is a lot of people who have read the books but then have jumped on the TV train are not sure they're going to read the books when they come out. Mm-hmm. And the reason is that to remember where the books were versus where the TV show was is going to be 2,000 pages of reading or like, you know, <sighs> Wikipedia work to like get back on the, to get back on that horse. You got to relearn horses a little bit, um, which I think is, I hadn't really thought about that. That, that is that a these lot are of big, catch up. They're big and complicated books. And you may not know from your memory 
where, you know, to walk back through the woods to get to the point where the the roads diverge is going to take some walking, mm-hmm. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Well, no, holding two just alternate versions of the yeah. same story in your mind, especially when you have to do 2,000 pages of homework, is a, that's a lot of work. A lot of work. Um, also, more, I guess I've been... I'm trying to say here. I guess more doubt about the books ever being done than I was ready for, too. Ah. People don't think they're going to happen. A lot of people don't think they're going to happen. I, I guess I'm that's... still on the they're going to happen, but um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I think that if I were a big Game of Thrones fan, I would probably have shifted to the I don't think this is likely to happen camp, if only because then you can be surprised and delighted when they mm. do happen rather than super disappointed because <laughs> you've been hoping that they would or planning for planning it's to like see betting those books against your them. team to win the Let's big see. game but also like the mystery around the mystery maybe is like too strong of a term the oh. lack of transparency it's unknown really what the delay has been it sounds like maybe there's been some personal stuff going on for george R. R. martin but like since we don't know, like in the, you know, in the absence of actual information, you can make up all kinds of theories about things. Yeah. And since we don't know what the cause of the delays has been, it, um, it's not, I don't think it's outlandish to think like, well, well, if there's something going on with his health, then these books might not get done. Or for any number of reasons, they might not get done. I think I would also be in that camp of like, I'm just going to go ahead and like be sad now that I don't think yeah. these will ever happen rather than like keep waiting and waiting and then be disappointed down the yeah, line. I guess I hadn't thought about the thing that you were, ju- you were just sort of talking around, which is if I had been waiting on the books, mm-hmm. I would be discouraged and yeah. wondering if they're going to come as an outsider who hasn't read the books that there's been this long of a delay interval, let's say, between um, volumes does lessen my confidence that more will come out, but it would feel different if I was really anticipating it. Like every day I'm wondering, am I wondering, is it mm-hmm. this year, is it this year, and this year sort of being disappointed. I don't know which of those two, we need like Kahneman and Tversky to help us, like <laughs> which of those two beha- um, psychological behaviors is more or less um, useful in this particular case. Because it's like, I guess it would be gambler's fallacy to say things are going to proceed forever as they have been proceeding. But it's also gambler's fallacy to say, well, we're overdue. So I'm not sure in this particular, we just don't have enough information. Yeah, yeah, we just um, don't know. We just don't know. But um, despondency is strong for the to characterize the reactions, but mm. um, deflated and um, resigned maybe even. Um, was interesting to say there. Also, um, I was, um, even one of the show titles I think was Narrative Fissure, talking about like the unicity of this particular moment where you have a, a major franchise in books completely being completely outrun by the t- film or TV. Um, I didn't get examples from Western lit especially, but apparently this is a thing that happens in manga series all the time. And that got me thinking about comic books where no better example than you know we have this big avengers endgame coming out that mm-hmm. is 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 related to the comics of course but it's like not its own story it's its own story but related to the stories in the books so like which one is canon is not a bad you can do both i guess is it really ah. comics and manga especially are really good examples of you have the same characters doing some of the same things even in some of the similar plots but you know our brains haven't split in twain because uh, cap is a little bit different in this episode of uh the Infinity War than he was in the comics version. So I thought that was fair. Yeah, that's a nice analogy, I think. Yeah. Um, So there's that. Um, All right, I guess that's that's the end of my listener follow-up. Okay. Well, we can go back to now um, a kind of story that we 
have been following, but this is a new installment in the series, I guess, of Mm -hmm. stories. We wish we didn't have to tell. The Washington State Department of Corrections this week has quietly, or last month, but it's just been sort of come out this week, that they quietly rolled out a new policy that prisoners can no longer receive used books in prisons from nonprofit organizations. Um, The prisons do have libraries that are run by the state. And the policy accepts books that are sent to both the Washington State Library and the Monroe County Library, but those have limited resources and there are access issues. So there is a nonprofit called Books to Prisoners that has been sending used books to these correctional facilities for decades to help out with the issues that the state and city libraries have in in fully serving um, the prison libraries. Mm. Um, they've been in operation. Uh, books to Prisoners has been in operation since 1973. Um, And prisoners write in asking for what they want, and the volunteers choose books from the library and and ship them out. The DOC um, did not notify books to prisoners, the organization, that this was occurring. Staffers just noticed that a bunch of their books were mysteriously being returned to them, and then they went looking for answers and found a notice buried deep in the Department of Corrections website that explains the new policy. But they haven't really explained the reasoning behind it, although – Um, The memo notes that they've asked staff to make every effort to properly inspect used books that are already in possession for contraband. So Mm. we have heard versions of this before that prisons were um, preventing and in various places they've like then gone back on the decision after public outcry. So there's a possibility that that could occur here. where prisons have said prisoners cannot or departments of correction have said prisoners cannot receive used books. It's because we're concerned that they're being used to smuggle in contraband. Um, whether or not the libraries in these prisons actually have someone on staff to inspect the books or not is the thing that, um, that we don't know. But in some cases there has been a profit motive attached to it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, where I think it was maybe Pennsylvania. Yeah, I think you're right. Pennsylvania um, where they had made the policy that you can't receive used books. And at the same time, they had said, by the way, though, if you want to read things, you can buy these very expensive e-readers and expensive DRM'd e-books mm-hmm. just through the Department of Corrections. And that was, um, wasn't even done well. That wasn't slick at all, <laughs> what, they, what they were doing. Um, so there's not as much information here about what's going on with the Washington State Department of Corrections, but clearly um, lots of things to be concerned about. And there is a note here, as I think we've talked on previous episodes, that the most frequently requested book by prisoners is a dictionary. Yeah. And most of us don't even think about the need for a print dictionary anymore because we can go online, but people in prisons don't usually have access to the internet. Um, So they need print dictionaries and they are often looking at legal materials and trying to handle things for their own cases. Um, Kelly Jensen wrote up a a long piece about this same issue for Book Riot. We'll have that link in the show notes as well. Um, But there are a few ways that you can get involved if you want to by contacting the prisons division Um, in Washington State. You can sign a petition that was set up by Books to Prisoners or you can even donate to the organization. Super interesting. Um, this is not, I was trying to think, this is not a story we talked about in the first 200 some episodes, right? Like yeah, these no, kinds of stories. Right. I don't know if we haven't been paying attention or this is a new thing or what, but in our neck of the woods, it seems a new a new thing under the sun. Yeah, it does seem to be something that like we've done a lot of in the last year or two, but that 
we didn't either, either we didn't see stories about it or it's just mm-hmm. starting to pop up. I'm not sure what's going on there. I would be interested um, if you're listening to this and you know more about these issues than we do. Is this a newer yeah. phenomenon of prisons um, preventing prisoners from having access to used books or are we somehow just getting more of those stories now? Podcast at bookriot.com. Again, there's not much in the statement from the, the Washington DOC. Um, it Reading between the lines, it sounds like the justification probably is that it's difficult to check the books coming in for contraband, which I, I'm not going to say that's mm-hmm. right or wrong. Mm-hmm. That, you know, what, I'm sure like, like every job, there are hard decisions that need to be made. Um, I, it makes me wonder if for nonprofits like um, this one, Books to Prisoners, there couldn't be some like equivalent of like TSA pre-check. Like check out Books to Prisoners – but you don't have to go. You don't have to flip through every Merriam-Webster's that comes through books to prisoners. Um, right. I wonder if the, I wonder if there could be some kind of compromise um, in that resolve. So this, um, yeah, you can go sign a petition if you live in Washington. Especially, you can call. You can write. You can email. These two, they, we have seen these things get turned around too. It's we not, have, um, yeah. Um, I wonder if this is one of these um, policies that are secure because they're obscure and a little bit of light and heat um, mm-hmm. could get it turned around. We'll see. Yeah, I've kind of wondered if this is a thing, like, if these policies are just popping up now, it's like, did all of the heads of the departments of correction go to the same conference together last year? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe their budgets are getting cut. And they've got it like, well, you know, one thing we can do is not thumb through all these books. And I I don't know, that would be the, again, maybe more of a generous reading is they have a resource constraint. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of thing I I don't know what else to say about it. Outside of the one you mentioned, where that seemed like more of a at least a substantial part of it is someone was trying to make a flip a flip a buck on yeah. selling terrible, cheap, expensive iPad or uh, you know tablets mm-hmm. and proprietary software. Um, outside of that, this doesn't have, at least to our knowledge, that valence of there's another someone's coming in profiting off this nonprofit not being able to send its books in. But we don't know too much about it at this point. Yeah. All right. Uh, my most interesting story of the week because I've been waiting. I know you have. I know. And no one cares about... Do you care? Well, you can tell me. I'll I'll give you a thing. So um, this is a piece on TechCrunch that Scribd announced that it's moving into the original content business. Uh, In its first book is the release of Mueller's War, a book by journalist Jarrett Graff, looking at the prosecutor's time as a Marine in the Vietnam War. Um, uh, Okay, fine choice. The, The bigger thing is this is going to be exclusive to Scribd subscribers, and it's going to do one a month. It's hmm. called Scribd Originals, um, which is weirdly not a very derivative name, mixes fiction and nonfiction with a focus on the space between the magazine article and a book. So namely pieces up to 50,000 words in length, which I think is like, if you if you translate to print, is like 150 pages. I used to know this conversion better than I do now. Hmm. Um, somewhere in that ring. I mean, maybe maybe shorter. Um, so too long to run in a magazine, but aren't long enough to be published as a standalone book. Um, this thing, they're saying they pay in advance, similar for a traditional book. Interesting. And that there is a period of exclusivity, but they are going to be distributing some of them to other digital flat- platforms. They're staying okay. open-minded. We'll see. That's not what they're doing right now. Um, so there's ebooks and audiobook, and they brought in a former byliner editor-in-chief to help them. Here's mm-hmm. where it gets interesting to me. Upcoming originals include the work from Roxanne Gay, Mark Seal, Hilton Alls, Peter Heller, 
and Paul Thoreau. So these hmm. are serious names. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting. We can maybe talk about what those names represent. You know, there's some it, there's some things that aren't there that maybe could be um, in terms of genre. Um, so that's what their idea is. Like we've been waiting. I've been waiting. The only one we've that I've that has been moving into the exclusive content around books has been Audible, to my knowledge. There could mm-hmm. be other things that I don't know about. Um, but this seems like a pretty big deal. Script has a million paying subscribers. It is the closest thing we have to a Netflix for books. Don't at me about how libraries and Netflix are different than... <laughs> I mean, I know, I know, but like, don't, let's not do this again. Let's not, um, please. But in, in lieu of our dear departed oyster, like Scribd is the last um, platform standing for subscription consuming of books, both audiobooks and ebooks. Um that are, I guess, Audible and Libro FM, like some of the place has a subscription, but that's to get a discounted price on a per title basis. And Scribd, what you get from a Scribd membership now is somewhere between a credit and all you can eat, like they have gates and other things like that. But it's still the closest thing, all, all those things being said. And is this a way to get people to sign up for your service? I think is super interesting as a way, because this is, we're seeing what could happen in books play out in video in a major way right now. Um, we, you know, we didn't really, this is not really a books adjacent thing, but Apple news plus and the Apple TV plus they're the latest entrant into the battle of the giants going around video right now. You know, your Hulu's, your Showtime's, your HBO's, your, you know, I don't have to name them for you, but that is a possible future for books that is interesting to think about. And from my point of view, fairly undesirable, I have to say, (laughs) um, but you know, if this were going to happen, this step would have to happen to get there. Right. And maybe that's what I'm, I'm noticing as much as anything. What do you think, Rebecca? Yeah, I don't want that possible future that you're describing no. either. Um, because I was just this week in the like very modern hell of like, is this thing that I want to watch on Netflix or is it on Prime or is it on Hulu or do I have to find it on On Demand? And that's annoying. And I don't want to have that experience in, in reading with the specifics of... The exclusives on Scribd, I think, well, so the Amazon originals and like exclusive audible things, they're doing two things over there and they have like full length audiobooks that are only available on audible. And so those yeah. are exclusive contracts that they make with the publishers of those books. And then they have the audible originals, which are, I think the same kind of thing that Scribd is doing that are shorter. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, four hours of Michael Lewis talking about weather, um, instead of a full, you know, 12 hour book length situation. Um, those are, they kind of, those and these, like the Audible originals and these Scribd originals, it kind of feels to me like it's like the equivalent of listening to a, one season of a long form podcast, perhaps. Mm. And because I was kind of puzzling, like, how is this Muller's War book an interesting choice? Like, what does Scribd know about their listeners? Yeah, that, that's what I was wondering, too. Right, that this is the way they're launching this thing. And then when you look at the names like Roxane Gay and Hilton Alls, both who write about contemporary social issues, but in very different ways. Peter Heller writes fiction. Paul Thoreau yeah. writes like mostly sort of literary travel. Literary nonfiction. Literary, literary nonfiction, travel, yeah. travel writing. I don't know Mark Seal. Um, I don't either. I will have to look him up. Notably, a lack of representation of women other than Roxane Gay's mm-hmm. name here. Um, but I would guess that they're kind of going for people who listen to a season of a podcast are willing to listen to, um, to, you know, Mm -hmm. 50,000 words worth of 
long form that's not quite full book length. Um, so I think it's interesting. I'm curious about how it will go. Um, Netflix originals, I think, are an interesting analog here because libraries do apparently sometimes get the DVDs yeah. of Netflix series. Um, so I'd be interested if Scribd is going to do that or if Audible has considered releasing audio, ver- like, you know, rentable audio versions of their work to libraries so that the content is accessible to people who don't pay for the service or who can't mm-hmm. pay for the service. That's a big question. I think when we were talking about this on the Booker at Contributor Slack, um, Jamie Canavase was pointing out, like, this is an access question, too. Yep. Um, if you can't pay for all of these different services, you can't access all of the information then, especially if the books don't make it to the public library ever, mm. um, which is just an element of these stories that I, th- I think doesn't get talked about as not, um, uh, mm, doesn't get talked about enough. Um, but I'm not like, I don't know. I'm not really excited to see Scrib do this. I don't really care. I don't, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's, mm, it's not a nothing burger, but it's not exciting to me at this point. Maybe if I still had a Scribd subscription and, uh, or maybe when they announce what the Roxanne Gay book is, I will care <laughs> that month. Well, that's um, where I was going to go with, uh, cause you're right about the, the, the lineup and the identities of the people in the lineup. I think Roxanne Gay to me is the um, Roxanne Gay, Peter Heller and Paul Thoreau are all people I read almost everything they write. So mm-hmm. I was thinking, okay, assuming the Roxanne Gay, Peter Heller, Paul Thoreau, all of those come out and they sound interesting. Is that enough to get me to sign up for a script? I think the answer for me is still no, mm-hmm. still no. Well, there's also the, like you could sign up for a month and listen to them and then go away. Yeah, but you know what? I, I, I've tried that before, but here, it's annoying to stop paying for it. Does it mm-hmm. work? Do you have to call? Like the gateways, to the, like, the little circuits they make you run through to try to unsubscribe sometime or a horror show. Mm-hmm. And I, it's just not really worth it to me. Like it would have to be, this is the next step I did. It, what, would it, what would it take? Yeah. Well, I'm serious. Also- like what would it take to get me to sign up for a script for an exclusive thing? And I could think of some names. Oh yeah, um, like to- uh, like it's our usual go tos for me. Like if there's a Toni Morrison <sighs> or yeah. a Marilyn Robinson that I can't get anywhere else, <sighs> yeah, that would be tough. Like because um, the Audible strategy around the originals is if you're not a member, you can just go buy that. Like right. you have to pay the full freight, like exorbitant mm-hmm. price, but you can get but you, you can just physically buy it. can get right. it. You can't get the exclusives. Um, to my knowledge, and who knows, maybe there's a setting or whatever. If you if you do it, you can buy those or whatever. Um, but there's not that many. There's some, but there's not that many. I don't... Maybe it's a churn situation. Maybe mm. it's not really about getting people. It's about keeping people. And for Scribd, and who knows what kind of advances they're giving, like equivalent to a book advance, well... A book advance can be zero to a million dollars, so that doesn't right. help you too much. Um, now, what a book advance for Roxanne, Roxanne Gay can get or Peter Heller, I don't know what their things is. But when you get into large-scale, especially software service or subscription services marketing, as a keeping churn rate down, giving Peter Heller, say, 30 grand, I'm just wildly guessing, for a 100,000-word piece or short story novella, that reduces your churn fractionally might be worth it. Like the math gets super interesting, I would think. Um, And maybe that's enough. Maybe that's enough. Maybe I'm really interested in what's in it for the authors to do this because you've limited your audience by signing an exclusive deal. Um, And I wonder, yeah, I mean, there's cash money. Mm -hmm. 
But I wonder also if there is some allowance around the content. You know, like sometimes you buy an essay collection and half of the essays have already been published uh, in other yeah, in journals before they make it into the book. I wonder like if you're doing something for Scribd that's longer than a magazine article but not as long as a book, can you expand that material into a full-length book with your regular mm. mainstream publisher that then reaches all of your readers? Um, like contractually, is that part of the deal with Scribd or not? I have no idea, but I'm just wondering, like, why would authors agree to gate their readership in this way other than just straight cash money? But in addition to cash money, like you have to care about, or you should as an author care about establishing your reader base for your next books. And so if you're going in this direction, yeah, it's just I don't interesting. Know. It's, it's interesting. Ex- I have yeah. questions. I don't think it's a surprise that um, I think uh, so. I just looked up Mark Seal, a Vanity Fair contributing editor, mm. who's written a book um, too called. Uh, now I'm away from the Wikipedia page, but I think all of these people, to my knowledge, also have some long form. I don't yeah. know as much about Roxanne Gay, but she's she's written essays, but they have long form journalism experience. Um, so they might have projects that really do fall into this weird valley between book and article, and they're like, what am mm-hmm. I going to do with this? So there's yeah. a good outlet for that. I think the script language is a little weird about what's in it for the authors. They say, we really expect them to embrace this. This is just a great way for their authors to keep in touch with their audience between, between books. books. And I was like, I, it actually seems like a terrible way to do that because yeah, it's can, gated. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, I thought that's what social media and, like, blogging – no, I mean, I mean, in all seriousness, like, there's mm-hmm. a lot of other – there's more ways than ever – to keep in trust, uh, keep in touch with your audience between books. That's not painful. right. Like it's so not hard to that. know what Roxanne Gay is up to. <laughs> no, and they can write pieces for. I mean, all of these authors, I think, could write virtually at will for almost any publication. Sure. Out there, um, so that doesn't. Something about that doesn't jibe. Unless yeah. I'll be curious to see. Now here's let's play this game for two minutes. If you can pick now within reason, we're not picking J.K. here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. You're scribd. Uh-huh. You're scribd. You're a trip adler. Yeah. And you can get any author you want to mm-hmm. move the needle that people will come and sign up for your su- service for this person. Oh. Do you have any picks? Oh, that's a good question. I think Stephen King would be interesting. Yeah. That's a good one. Um like it just has a large and engaged following. Yep. And they they pay attention to what he does online, and he does experimental things. Mm-hmm. Um, who else? James Patterson would try something like this, I think. Definitely would try it, but you, James Patterson is maybe overexposed. Like you're oh, gonna run, to, yeah. you can't okay, get right. you can't get JP yes. anywhere else. You can get him. I mean, like, I literally can get him next to my milk at the grocery store. <laughs> it's true. I think Elizabeth Gilbert would be interesting for something like oh, this. Oh, that's a cagey choice. I like that. Uh, thank you. I'm looking at my galley shelves right now. <laughs> um, who else? You know, like Trevor Noah. Good one. In I between- had Cheryl Strayed on my mm-hmm. list. I don't know what you think about that. I think that that would be interesting too. Jenny Lawson. Again, like people that have like really developed, like anyone that could run a Patreon, right? I think that's the kind of way to think about it too. N.K. Like Jemison, I would definitely pay attention to. Yeah, that's interesting. So, because I was thinking genre, because people in genre tend to be pretty plugged into the authors in their, um, mm-hmm. you know, their output and following on a on a title per title basis. So, I had genre in mind too. I don't know enough about the romance 
like, I don't know enough about romance, but you'd think like if there's a romance author that has a big following and they say, come over to Scribd mm-hmm. to read my next one, I bet you could move, get some feet moving in that direction. Yeah. Somebody that I would love to see go in that direction is Kiese Lehman. Um, yeah. He would be super interesting. I think that there's a real clue here in that um, Scribd brought on Mark Bryant, who's the former, you said former byliner editor. Yes. And that byliner piece is important because byliner was like extra long form nonfiction. Non- Fiction, yep. Um, and Not so fiction. that if that's a clue, and I think it is about the kinds of work that they're going to be looking for here, then this really makes sense about what Roxane Gay does and what Hilton Alls does and Peter Heller yeah. and Paul Thoreau. Um, mm-hmm. That that's the direction they're going to be going in there. I would, my, uh, my pick was um, Zadie was my pick. Oh, Zadie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People follow also her. KG. She's good online. People do follow KG. her. Yeah. yeah, it'd be interesting to know, but probably that probably there's some answer that's like, ooh, Atul Gawande. <sighs> yeah, for nonfiction especially, but I'm more mm-hmm. thinking like who actually moves units, like like that re- moves like units, big, but well, yeah, not like yeah, but I'm but like Jeff Kinney, like Diary of a Wimpy Kid, like if you got Jeff Kinney over there, people would sign up for their kids, like people would. Mm. So that's just another way of, of thinking about it. So anyway, uh, I'm not sure. If you're a Scribd subscriber, um, let us know what you think. My, My brain impression... is like, who is the Jeff Kinney of adult fiction? That's just not, a, that's just not an analogy that's going to work for me. Well, I mean, in terms of a literary crossover commercial fist, um, uh, author, Celeste Ang. She moves oh, units yeah. now. She has a new she novel does. and like it charts as literary fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, against the, you know, it's not number one, but it'll be like number six, seven against the big time genre, like your Daniel Steele's, your James Patterson's, your, you know, oh, embossed gold cover at the market. Here's at the market. my beautiful dream. Here's my beautiful yeah. dream. Aaron Morgenstern. Longer than oh. a short story, but not a novel length. Perfect for the audio format, as we know from the Night Circus. Get, is, did we know? Is Jim Dale going to narrate the Starless Sea? I've been too afraid to look it up because if the answer I is no, I'm going to be disappointed. Let us let's go to the Google. I will find out now. Yeah, it, we I've may not heard even know at this point that the Starless Sea is very good. Do we have um, a birdie? I have a birdie. Well, okay. I mean, I I know book people who have galleys. I haven't heard anything about. I, there's no listing for the audio yet on audible um all right well Googling, i'm gonna yes, i'm gonna I've burn all the, the incense or what do i have to do <laughs> the galley has been read by people that i know and they have said that it but is it, good. Well, i can't but are, do they have do they have to be little birdies or can we say well you can tell me off air <laughs> yeah you can maybe know yeah. um yeah, okay. I don't see anything. There is a listing when you're on the Amazon listing for The Starless Sea by Aaron Morgenstern, which comes out in November, so it's not that far away. Um, you can click to purchase the audio CD or to pre-order it, but there's no narrator info, and there's not an audible info yet. So I'm assuming that that's coming mm. um, and that they're just nailing it down. But um, Hopefully it's a, Jim Dale. I know Michelle and Bob would both be Do another sponsor, excited. and I got okay. another thing on audiobooks real quick. Do another All sponsor. All right. Our next sponsor this week is The Girl He Used to Know by Tracy Garvis Graves. Jonathan and Annika first meet at chess club in college, where Jonathan loses his first game of chess and his heart, Annika. Brilliant but shy, Annika prefers to be alone, but Jonathan accepts that about her, admiring Annika quirks and all. Their relationship that follows is tumultuous but strong until an unforeseen tragedy forces them apart. 
A decade later, though, fate brings them back together. She's a librarian, and he's a divorced Wall Street whiz kid seeking a fresh start. Their feelings are instantly rekindled, but until they confront the fears and anxieties that drove them apart, their second chance will end before it truly begins. This sounds lovely. And speaking of audiobooks, the audio is read by Audi award-winning narrators Fred Berman and Kathleen McInerney. Annika, the main character, is on the autism spectrum. So there's some representation happening on the page here. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll yell at Annika, you'll yell at Jonathan, and when you're finished, you'll wish you could start listening all over again. If you're a hopeless romantic, the girl he used to know is perfect for you. If you are a fan of Jojo Moyes, this is also right up your alley. The audiobook has all of the heart and, notably, none of the heartbreak. So that is The Girl He Used to Know by Tracy Garvis Graves. You can find it wherever books are sold or click a link in the show notes and check out that audiobook, people. I love that tagline, all of the heart and none of the heartbreak. Speaking of audiobooks, um, shouts to... We don't have... We we spun off um, the section of the show where we talked about upcoming books we're interested in into the the Mm -hmm. show. All um, the books. The Grand Dame, Liberty Hardy Captains these days. Um, but I wanted to give shout, and it reminded me because of the audiobook thing, that Mary Norris's new book came out this week. It's called Greek to Me. It's about her lifelong obsession with all things Greek. Mm. Um, and there's no audiobook of it yet. That's a bummer. It's a, and, I, and I was, was grinching in the Slack channels. Like, it's, a, it's been a while since there's been a book I wanted to read that didn't have an audiobook version um, that was released uh, day and date. Mm. With the print and ebook version, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I think, I'm going to buy a physical copy just to, just to have. Um, but shouts to that book. Also, Mary um, was one of the guests of the most recent episode of Recommended that I produced. Um, was uh, Swathi Tirthal? Her her book is um, The Tiger at Night. It's a YA fantasy that's coming out too. I'll put a link in the show notes to that. If you haven't listened to Recommended, I, I guess I recommend it. It's you know, we get people, <laughs> interesting book people, who are recommending a book they really like. And on that episode. We got, um, oh, the Tamora Pierce. I think it's, I can't remember the, the name of the book, but it's um, Alondra's First Adventure by Tamora Pierce. And then mm-hmm. Mary Norris recommended, and, and I'm sure you'll know that I was extremely calm when she recommended <laughs> The War That Killed Achilles oh. by Caroline Alexander, <laughs> which is about the Iliad. Jeff, um, I'm surprised that you're not speaking to me from the great beyond now. <laughs> I might be. This is non-corporeal podcasting um, at the moment. You know, I could be disembodied voice. You don't know. Sure. You don't, you don't know. That's uh, very you, exciting. You don't know my afterlife. Um, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I thought that was funny. Um, but go check out Recommended, and if you're interested, Greek to Me by Mary Norris. Her first book was called Adventures of a Comma Queen, which if you like language, mm-hmm. Mary was for decades um, a copy editor at The New Yorker, and a guest on episode of Annotated that was called Love, um, uh, what was it called? Life, Love, and the Oxford Comma? Yes, something like something that. something like that. Which was a really fun you episode know, as well. While we're talking about books that we're excited about and also mm. language and grammar, I am a little bit late to the Dreyer's English party. I've heard that's great. Benjamin Dreyer being the copy chief of Penguin Random House, who is also one of my, like I am basically off of Twitter these days, but he's one of the reasons that I still check it sometimes because his Mm. Twitter feed is delightful. The book 
is great. Like, I'm looking forward to that. I have actually just been sitting down reading a book about, like, it's a style guide, essentially, but the way that it's broken out and the way that he writes about things is so charming and delightful and fun and funny and, like, v- useful and interesting and just very engaging. So th- these are all of my adjectives all at once. Um, but I've just been super delighted by it. I'm reading it in print, but I've heard the audio is mm. wonderful. And having read it, like, his voice really comes through on the page, and I can imagine imagine that listening to him talk about these things would also be really great. And um, there's a whole chapter on peeves and crotchets, which is just like language things that are technically correct, but that drive people crazy. <laughs> or also language things that are like a little bit incorrect, but that are maybe not worth getting super yes, worked up about. Yes. Um, but people get super worked up about them anyway. And I just appreciate that perspective. So if you're a, a word nerd, this I had been very like, I love Benjamin Dreyer, but how on earth has a style guide made it into the top 10 New York Times bestsellers yeah, of telling. nonfiction? And now that I'm into it, I understand why. It's just really remarkable. Can we do one more word nerd book I'm sure. looking forward to? Let's do it. This is now, this is maybe the bot. There is no, there's no hole below this rabbit hole. It is <laughs> no. called the semicolon. <laughs> it's coming out in July. Um, by Cecilia Watson, who's a professor at Bard College, but it's called The Past, Present, and Future of a Misunderstood Mark. This is the content I am here for. (laughs) Wow, that is... July 30th. That is the white hot center of your wheelhouse. I do like this stuff. I do. I'm, I'm reading all this. I, Dryer's English, I've been saving on audio. Because I've really great. been looking forward to it, but I don't know... I, I was like a plane. I'm not going to get on a plane anytime soon. I should just I should just go ahead and pull the trigger on that. But uh, Cecilia Watson, semicolon July 30th of this year. We got all kinds of stuff. Good things. All kinds are of stuff. Happening. All right. Uh, is yeah. that our show? That feels like I our think show. It's. I do think that that's our show. Yeah. We went. We took some tangents today, but the, our roads mm-hmm. diverged. But they were interesting. Yep. Okay. Um, let's see. That's our show. No. That's our show as always. Uh, you can shoot us an email, podcast at bookriot.com. What, are we, what were we wondering about? Oh, you especially? know what? We have a final sponsor. Oh, we have a final sponsor. <laughs> it's, it's us. us. <laughs> so it, it's, it would have been okay if we had yeah. kind of missed it, but I don't want to miss the chance because this no. is my baby um, to tell you about TBR. It's Book Riot's new subscription service that offers tailored book recommendations mm. for readers of all stripes. It's basically stitch fix for books. Um, so you tell TBR about your reading preferences and about what you're looking for. You can say, I love mysteries and thrillers. I want to read more romance. Don't send me anything where the dog dies. And we will give you a bibliologist whose specialties line up with the books that you're looking for. Your bibliologist will handpick recommendations just for you. And once a quarter, you will receive either recommendations by email or hard cover books in the mail, just depending on Mm -hmm. which level you select. And that ranges from $15 a quarter to $75 a quarter for those different services. Uh, And it's super customized along the way. Your bibliologist gets to know you, what you like and what you don't like. And every time around, your recs should get better and better. Um, So you can visit mytbr.co to sign up. That's mytbr.co to get started with TBR, Tailored Book Recommendations. I remember the other thing we wanted people to do. I've got a couple of them. I'll have to put them in a Google Doc for us. Recommendation time. Yes. Season's coming upon us. Mm-hmm. Moms, dads, grads, um, or, or selfish. Books for yourself. Whatever yeah. you want. We're going to take um, 
We've got a few more weeks. We're going to take these. Mm-hmm. When are we recording this? Do you know off the top of your head? Late April? Late, Late April. April. So you got a couple of weeks, but um, there's no time like the present to get those in. And also, I should say, the sooner you get them in, they go first on the list. Mm-hmm. So if you if you get them in earlier rather than later, you have a better shot of us um, actually responding to them. We'll get as many as we can, but historically, we haven't been able to get them to them all. I've got... I've got some interesting stuff up my sleeve for picks. I've been oh, reading. Oh, do you? I've been reading. Well, that's good because I'm reading less than I usually do. <laughs> yeah. Well. Oh, I didn't tell you. I broke my. Uh, I broke the seal on fiction recently. I'm, Did uh, you? Peter Heller. His uh-huh. new book, The River. It's about fishing and it's a thriller. What am I going to well, do? I'm helpless against such magic. <laughs> you know, I um, have not been totally off of fiction, just yeah. less on it than. Uh, than in previous years. Um, but I had two really good fiction experiences recently. I just listened to Daisy Jones and the Six I've by Taylor Jenkins Reid. Yeah, the audio was incredible. It's a full cast. Jennifer Beals and um, Benjamin Bratt are some of the anchors. Judy Greer is on there and she's wonderful. The story was great. Like I was just sucked in. I love the format of an oral history and the novel is set up as if it's an oral history about this band from the 70s. So even for someone like me, who typically only listens to nonfiction, mm. like it feels like you're listening to nonfiction. I was just captivated. I had a few quibbles with the story, but I loved I loved like 98% of it. It was great. Um, and someone who listened to the show, one of our contributors, recommended to me as a like literal getting the band back together book, um, This Is How It Feels, or This Is What It Feels Like, I can't remember, by Rebecca Barrow. It's a YA about three girls who were in a band together and then the band split up for the kinds of reasons that make teenage girls stop being friends with each other. But then there's a big battle of the bands coming up in town and they decide to literally get the band back together um, for the story. And I Mm. loved it. Sounds pretty good. That's our show. Um, Recommendation requests. We want to know about, there was something else we're going to ask people. Oh, if you're a Scribd user, what do you think about this? Or, if you're not a script user, what is your author that if their new mm. bookish length thing was on script would really your 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 uh, your um, your finger would really hover over that subscribe button? I'd like to I'd be super fascinated to end well. We'll shout out some responses on next week's episode. Rebecca, thank you as always. Thank you. Show notes bookrack.com/listen. We'll talk to you later. Have a good one.